truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to Superhero T-Shirt Week here on the Steve Dace Show. That would be me alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. Jam-packed show for you uh, later today. Uh, Bob Vanderplatz and I are going to substantively disagree on something. That does not happen very often, so let's just do it in public, shall we? We will do that at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Next hour, we will get into our weekly, or almost weekly now, Ask Me Anything. Our five-star reviewers and our followers over on Gab selected the questions that uh, Todd chose to be answered on the air. Of course, I have not seen them. I will see them for the first time uh, coming up next hour of the show. I want to begin, though, by sharing with you a conversation I had over the weekend. Uh, The three of us uh, have gotten to meet several of you over the years, and one of the individuals we've gotten to meet the last couple of years has become a good friend to the show on and off the air, and it's our buddy Charles. Oh yeah, yeah. And we got to meet we got to meet Charles, who lives over uh, west of the Rocky Mountains. We got we got to meet him because, by his own admission, pre COVID, he thought we were all crazy. They were your classic kind of Romney establishment Republican successful business family, right? Yep. And COVID hits, and he's got a very good friend who is trying to overcome substance addiction. And he had, I can't remember if it was a formal 12-step or a Celebrate Recovery, but one of those kinds of groups associated with the local church. And of course, the local church is, is, is closed down. And his friend fell back into the darkness and he eventually lost his friend. And being confronted with that level of darkness, he starts seeking out sources of information that maybe could help inform him about what is really going on here. How bad can can a virus be that it is worth this level of carnage, that the, the treatment could potentially be worse than the disease? And providentially, he just found our show. And we've gotten to know him over the last couple of years. I, I got a text from Charles on Saturday night. So, I mean, that's one of the main tropes, really, of, of COVID. The whole devastation of lockdowns and the, the hammer meets nail, only sees a nail, ham-fisted approach to dealing and confronting it, which was far more devastating than the virus itself, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, he now travels halfway across the country. And he's in Boston over the weekend. And it's an annual like summer family trip that, you know, before COVID, they would always make go to Fenway Park. And they're at the Yankees Red Sox game at Fenway Park Saturday night. He texts me in the middle of it. He says, Steve, you won't believe what I just saw. I'm on the aisle seat, literally two feet from me. Young man in his 30s. Just collapsed right in front of me. Just collapsed right in front of me, said, I'm having a heart attack. I think I'm dying. Somebody please help me. They brought out the stretcher and everything to wheel him out of there. And then it was bizarre. Everybody just watched it happen and then just went back to the game like nothing happened. Text me again yesterday morning. 
Like there's nothing in the local news or anything about this. That's another one of the bromides of this era, right? Young, healthy people just collapsing out of nowhere. It is heart attack season, Steve. It is. It's a brutal one, in fact, so please please do mask up. But what are the odds? What are the odds one guy living west of the Mississippi would just so happen to have a good friend that he lost because of the vicious cruelty of lockdowns and then would just travel halfway across the country and just watch a young man in his 30s just collapse from a heart attack right in front of him. Let me tell you what those odds are. They are about the odds that <clears throat> rebound COVID with Paxlovid is less than 1%. But the two individuals arguably getting the most state-of-the-art healthcare in America, President Joe Biden and America's alleged infectious disease expert, Anthony Fauci. Both got that. About those odds. This is why, in our forthcoming book, Rise of the Fourth Reich, and you can read the opening argument right now at trialsandexecution.com. But that opening argument is packed with data. You can pre-order the book right now at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. We were the number four nonfiction book in America on Barnes and, at Barnes & Noble last week. And a book doesn't come out for almost six months. You can read the opening statement framed like a mock Nuremberg trial at trials and execution. Trials, plural, execution, singular. Trialsandexecution.com. Download it there. Just send us your email. We'll send you the PDF. Share it with whoever you want. But after you get past that opening statement, when this book comes out next winter, you're going to see that the vast majority of this book is testimonies. What are the odds that a, a PA in Washington state would face the loss of his license for saving hundreds of lives? Just like what they're trying to do to arguably the most decorated virologist of this era, Dr. Robert Malone, arguably the most decorated cardiologist of this era, Dr. Peter McCullough. What are the odds? See, if you think these are random occurrences, the odds are sky high. But if you realize that this is Hail Hydra, and that this is systemic, and this is planned, and this is purposeful, that it's all part of the plan, you will see that it's right on schedule. Bet your house. Absolutely. This is the Zogby poll last week that showed far more Americans know someone who had a serious adverse effect to, COVID to the COVID jab than died of COVID itself. Since this book became the number one political book in the country last week, again, six months before its release, interestingly, I'm sure it's a pure coincidence, CDC has decided to basically end COVID in America and got rid of a lie that had kept up on its website for a year that the spike protein doesn't stay in your blood for very long. 
I'm sure those are coincidences. I'm sure they're just absolutely random. And they might be. But even if they are random, it shows the time for this trial is now. CEO of Moderna is talking now that they're going to have to dump millions more doses that people don't want. The CEO of Pfizer tweeted out today, he has COVID. We can use terms like cosmic, irony, schadenfreude. I've used them all. But let me tell you what term we need more than anything else. Justice. So that this never happens again. And yes, I'm talking gallows. After a trial, of course. We will give them all a fair and transparent trial in public for all to see. Unlike what they gave us before they injected us with their poison. Let me take the German data from the German insurer and extrapolate it a little further for you, shall we? Yes. Yeah. We must. Aaron gave you some interesting numbers. I have that German study, by, by the way. It's on all my social media pages except Facebook on purpose. Okay. So I'm, I'm just done dealing with fake book. I don't care on this level. All right. So I've posted it on every single one of my social media pages, at Steve Day Show, Twitter, um, Getter, um, at Real Steve Dace on Truth Social. Uh, you can look Steve Dace up on MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. All of my social media channels except Facebook, fake book. Every other one has the data that I'm about to cite for you. Okay. So if you if you take this German study and you extrapolate its numbers here, Aaron mentioned it was one out of 23 people reported an adverse effect from the COVID jab worthy enough of an insurance claim. So we're not, we're not talking about my arm hurt for a few hours, okay? The previous vaccine injury ratio for this German employer was 1 in 760 people. That's what it was for this German insurer, one of the largest in a nation of 66 million. That's what it was pre-COVID, 1 out of 760. Now they're reporting it's 1 out of 23. That is an increase of 33 times the previous rate. 33 times. Over 2,000%. 33 times. 33 times. Over 2,000%. If we had a similar ratio of adverse effects here among U.S. insurers with our current population base, you would be looking at almost 10 million Americans with an adverse effect worthy of filing a health insurance company claim. It's at least 9.6 million. At least 9.6 million. At least 9.6 million. By the way, this adds up to 4.3%. If you do this math, this adds up to 4.3% of everyone jabbed having an adverse effect serious enough to file a health insurance claim. 4.3%. The infection fatality rate for COVID before we even start stratifying it for age is about 0.3%. We've given these jabs to 5.4 billion people. 
a couple of times. Yeah. And you want to ask me, is it justified, Steve, calling this the rise of the Fourth Reich? Is it justified, Steve, to say trialsandexecution.com? My response to you is, I'm showing Christian restraint. Because posses and revolutions were formed in previous eras of human history over stuff like this. For much less, quite frankly. I am showing Christian restraint. I'm going to give you a trial. I'm going to let you be your own control group with your own representation. I'm going to let you do it transparently for everyone to see. You know, all the things you didn't offer us. Control groups. Transparency. All the things you didn't offer us in your fake trials you tried to hide for 75 years. All the things you didn't, all the things you didn't offer us before you just injected as many of us with this poison as you could possibly get your grimy little hands on, your scaly claws on. I'm the one actually showing restraint. You deserve far worse. But mercy triumphs over judgment. So we'll give you a trial first. And that clip of Anthony Fauci, that's Luciferian stuff, man. That's I will ascend. I will be like the most high. That's, that's demonic. Ego incarnate is what that is. Gentlemen, your thoughts. The data from Germany is actually worse. Now, it is technically worse, marginally worse, but it is worse. How many dead people can file insurance claims? Excellent point. Yeah. So there's that. That's an excellent point. Yeah. Meanwhile, the greatest idol the church is dealing with is comfort. So, you know, told you. In the face of all this, still, people just, can I just be left alone? Can I just do my thing? Can I just have uh, my little exploits and um, uh, pretend that this is still the first world we're living in? Nope. Nope, you can't. It's all a mirage. And it's a mirage that's going to get your children and your grandchildren killed if you don't have the courage to do something about it. People have recognized at some intuitive level from the beginning of this thing that our federal agencies in Washington haven't been telling us the truth. What we document is actual constructive fraud, fraudulent misrepresentation of the virus, where it comes from, to whom it's a threat, and then this suppression of early treatment. The public health messaging campaign for the vaccine was built on three fraudulent false claims. The first claim was that the vaccines were going to stop the infection. The second fraudulent claim is that it would block transmission. If you took it, you couldn't give it to anyone else. The final false and fraudulent claim is that the vaccines make it a milder illness, that they reduce hospitalization and death. We're under a dark, dark time of censorship, reprisal, and our civil liberties are being stripped from us very quickly.
Dr. McCullough and John Leake, thank you so much for joining us. So these are the co-authors of this book, new book right here, The Courage to Face COVID-19. It's, I believe, a bestseller now. It's hit multiple bestseller in multiple categories now on Amazon, viral diseases, communicable diseases, and John's expertise, true crime. Mm. So, so let me ask you, what, what do you think the implications of this are? Because you have the CDC and, and the multiple alphabet agencies spending, I've heard estimates of up to billions of dollars on advertising their side of the story, their narrative, and, and some of their solutions uh, for the pandemic. But then your book comes out and it becomes a bestseller. So obviously something in here is resonating with people. What is it? Well, I think people have recognized at some intuitive level from the beginning of this thing that our federal agencies in Washington haven't been telling us the truth. I, there's just this perception that something is not adding up in all of this. And what we document is actual constructive fraud, fraudulent misrepresentation of the virus, where it comes from, to whom it's a threat, and then this suppression of early treatment that Dr. McCullough has been in the middle of. I'll let him talk about that. It's, uh, you know, it's clear that our intentions of saving lives and reducing hospitalizations were thwarted. And they were thwarted by a complex, a biopharmaceutical complex, which includes our government agencies, our CDC, NIH, and FDA. They should have had all hands on deck, doctors like myself, to save lives but instead, the flows of drugs were limited. Even uh, useful agents like monoclonal antibodies were hard to get. Drugs like uh, Paxlovid, the most recent one, undermined. So we have a situation here. The only thing that our agencies really want to have happen is a needle in every arm. So some of the things you mentioned, I can imagine somebody chalking that up to incompetence. Let's say the monoclonal antibodies, you can say, well, the, that was a supply chain issue. They, they didn't know where, where, where it should go and when. Do you have any examples of, of let's say, actual either gross negligence or where, wherein someone maybe internally is saying one thing, but publicly they're saying the exact opposite? Well, I mean, the most notable example of the suppression of early treatment, and we document this in our book in the early days, was hydroxychloroquine. And what's fascinating is even the CDC, even a CDC researcher in 2005, when SARS emerged from China in 2003, they were actually discovering, including CDC researchers, that hydroxychloroquine had this antiviral and anti-inflammatory effect. There are multiple papers that were published about this in the academic literature. But then when SARS-CoV-2 emerges from China, they quickly establish that genetically it's a very similar virus. But all of this literature, all of the scientific research on these repurposed drugs like hydroxychloroquine, complete silence. And the French microbiologist Didier Raoul, a professor at Marseille, he was actively harassed, uh, censored, and ultimately he was dismissed from his position at the hospital. So you see from the outset a suppression. And this goes all the way up to even simple things like nasal hygiene which is, you know, goes back thousands of years. Even that, the FTC and the FDA have suppressed. I want to give an example of something that was very intentional and injurious to the population. Remdesivir. Remdesivir was studied in randomized trials, the best ones done, and then the whole synthesis of the data done by the World Health Organization. And in November of 2020, the World Health Organization meets and has a critical con consensus conference with ethicists 
critical care physicians, European Society of Critical Care, and they declare remdesivir should not be used to treat COVID-19 because it leads to greater numbers of deaths, kidney injury, and hepatic injury. What does the United States do? The uh, HHS, they put a 20% bonus on remdesivir if hospitals use it in the United States. The United States goes against the WHO and administers remdesivir as a frontline therapy leading to greater numbers of Americans dying in hospitals. It can't be any more clear than that. What was their front, like front end justification for doing that? The front end justification was this is the only in-hospital emergency use authorized drug we have and they simply were not going to pay attention to any data that was not going along with their narrative. And what the relationships were with Gilead, the NIH, uh, our director of the National Allergy Immunology uh, Infectious Disease Branch, HHS, that's for investigative journalists to uh, figure out. But I can tell you as a doctor, I use lots of drugs in the hospital. I've never had an antibiotic or antiviral where the entire hospital stay would get a 20% bonus. Americans should be asking questions. What you just mentioned would be my next question, because in theory, at least, these alphabet agencies should have as their clients or as the people they serve, the people of, of this country, not the big pharmaceutical companies like Gilead, right? But it seems like if the WHO had this study sh showing that remdesivir is not a viable option in, in this particular use case, I just wonder why they would go so, so far against it to the point that it actually incentivized people to use it with a bonus. Yeah, this, this is the most astonishing. I mean, I understand why Dr. McCall has mentioned this. It, it's just plainly astonishing to see the suppression of all of these repurposed medications that have been FDA approved for 60, 30, 40. I mean, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, they're both WHO essential medications. Remdesivir is this failed Ebola drug that Anthony Fauci at the NIAID had this interest in was distributing grant money to try and develop this thing. As Robert F. Kennedy Jr. states in his book, remdesivir was a drug looking for a pandemic. Um, and look, the, the, um, it's patented. So the hospitals, Gilead Sciences gets 3000 bucks per treatment course. And then the hospitals get this 20% bonus on the entire hospital bill per the CARES Act of March 2020. So it's just out in the open corruption. And what I want to emphasize, and Dr. McCullough discovered, and I discovered this as we researched our book, it's all out in the open. I mean, it's not like these guys are meeting, you know, with drawn blinds in the back of an Italian restaurant in, in New York or something and kind of with cigars conspiring. No, it's all out in the open. The documents are published, the grants are, video simulations of these pandemic planning seminars at Johns Hopkins in Georgetown in which they're openly discussing this. Another element that I will quickly mention is the enormously powerful role of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in funding and organizing these public-private partnerships for pandemic response. They've had an enormous hand in all of this, particularly a new institution that they founded in 2017 called CEPI, Center for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, expressly states in its preliminary business plan, which is published, anyone can see it, their pandemic response for the imminent pandemic that's coming. And the only thing in that business plan 
is vaccine development and deployment. There is not a single reference to treatment. So when SARS-CoV-2 emerges and comes to our shores, the SEMPI business plan was activated. It's all there. It's plainly out in the open. That actually would make sense in regards to what we saw with with the advertising campaign that came out of the uh, the FDA and the CDC, because I know that even after, let's say, a full year and a half of of a multi-billion dollar ad campaign from the government, I know people that either contracted COVID after getting vaccinated or their family members contracted COVID after getting vaccinated. And they really did not even know what to do with them because it seemed like the government's position was, well, wait until it gets so bad that you have to go to the hospital and then, you know, they'll take care of you there. What do you think leads to that? Because in theory, again, maybe I'm too naive, but it feels like these alphabet agencies should be explaining to people how to stay healthy. Even let's say you get COVID, it's like, okay, well, these are the things you should do even like get rest or something like that. But but it's not like that. It's like, wait, hang around at home until you get it sick enough, then go on a ventilator in the hospital. That's what it seemed like. It's inexplicable. The agencies to this day still have not given America a care plan of what to do when they contract COVID-19. I can tell you the advertising campaign or the public health messaging campaign for the vaccine was built on three fraudulent false claims. The first claim was that the vaccines were gonna stop the infection. And if you took the vaccine, you couldn't get the infection. Our president said this, the major liberal media said this. People remember Rachel Maddow saying this on MSNBC. Uh, The second false claim, a fraudulent claim, is that it would block transmission. If you took it, you couldn't give it to anyone else. And that became so obviously not the case that our CDC director came out and said that and said, listen, it doesn't stop transmission. The final false and fraudulent claim is that the vaccines make it a milder illness, that they reduce hospitalization and death. And I can tell you, in randomized clinical trials, in order to make that claim, a randomized trial would have to be done, and there's plenty of patients to do this, where the vaccine indeed reduced hospitalizations and deaths. It hasn't been done. The signal hasn't even been there in the randomized trials where that's not a primary endpoint. And now we have data flooding in from Canada, Europe, South America, Israel, showing the vast majority of patients in the hospital are fully vaccinated. In fact, the unvaccinated are having much milder syndromes, not ending up in the hospital. So you mentioned some of the um, some of the adverse reactions that are that are coming out of the different countries. So tangentially to that, I wanted to ask you because I'm right now um, doing a deep dive into the VAERS system because I want to put together a comprehensive uh, episode about it. And one thing that's really hard for me to kind of grasp my hand around is, is let's say currently there's about 29,000 deaths listed for the COVID, uh, the COVID vaccines in the VAR system, at least officially. But there's like kind of two factors. One is there's an underreporting to the VAR system. And, and the second part is like most likely out of those 29,000, not all those are really related to the vaccine. So it's like, what is that ratio? What percentage? Of, of the overall, this is the 29,000 represent. Okay, so the vaccine averse event reporting system, what we know in a paper from Meisner and colleagues before COVID, that uh, 86% of the time, the VAERS report is made by a doctor, a nurse, or a healthcare professional. So that's serious, that I've done VAERS reports. I only do VAERS reports when I think the vaccine has caused the problem. By having a entry in VAERS, That's prima facie evidence that someone thinks the vaccine caused the problem. Now, VAERS includes the United States, 
Japan, Germany, and some other countries. So when we restrict it to U.S. residents, which can be done in the queries, and I'm an epidemiologist, I've done these queries myself, I'm qualified in doing it. We have about 13,000 Americans that have died after the vaccine. If we look at death alone, we must apply what's called the Bradford Hill criteria for causality. It's a formal assessment of causality. The first question that we address is, is it biologically plausible? Well, the answer is yes. These are all genetic vaccines. They install the genetic code for the fatal Wuhan Institute of Virology spike protein. They have a dangerous mechanism of action. If one gets an installation of the genetic code too much in the wrong place at the wrong time for the wrong duration, it clearly can be fatal. And there are published papers in the medical literature saying it's fatal. So 100%, we've got the dangerous mechanism of action. Temporal association is within VAERS. The vast majority of deaths occur shortly after taking the shot. Uh, uh, internal consistency, meaning are there near misses, heart attacks, strokes that aren't fatal, that could have been fatal? Yes, plenty of them in VAERS. Is it externally consistent? Does it agree with the yellow card system, the EU UDRA system, the WHO VIGISA system? Yes, they all agree. World Health Organization says that together there's over 40,000 deaths. Let me tell you, uh, World, the uh, World Council for Health basically uh, has outlined this in their June 11th pharmacovigilance report. They have said that you get to a handful of deaths, these should have been pulled off the market. Let's imagine you, we have a, a God's eye view and we know for sure there's 100,000 deaths. We just know that's the true number. What number would be reported in VAERS? What's your opinion? The underreporting, uh, and there's been a lot of stabs at this, can be uh, the, on the high end, 100 to 1 underreported, down to you know 5 to 1 underreported. I can tell you in a paper from Columbia, the upper limit of the confidence interval of the number of Americans who have died after the vaccine through December was roughly 187,000 Americans. That is cohesive with the data we're getting from life insurance companies that are receiving record claims of people dying uh, for reasons that they haven't died from before. Most of the deaths are not explained. And when we hear a vignette of a young person who's died, it's typically a long history of cancer or congenital heart disease or um, suicide or drug overdose or homicide. Uh, but these deaths that we see now there's no cause. The only thing in the background is, did they take one of these vaccines? Wow. And, and there is something I'd like to add to that, which I think is has a kind of eerie, sinister quality to it. I'm Because of what we're doing, I'm frequently contacted by people, young people, maybe in their 30s, 40s, maybe 50 years old, who have been injured or their wife or husband has been injured. But what they're experiencing and I'm hearing this story very frequently, is that their treating doctor is assuring them it's not the vaccine. So there is this distortion of perception where the medical doctor asserts his medical authority to assure them, you know, your 50-year-old husband, who's a almost a professional-level surfer, who just had a massive heart attack, that had nothing to do with the vaccine that he got three weeks ago. And, and so this is this is happening. It's a distortion of of the citizens perception of what's going on. And I think this has great political significance. I mean, here we are at CPAC. The citizenry needs to be informed of what's going on, not actively deceived. Yeah.
It, well, it seems like it's it's not very scientific to right away come out with, hey, this is definitely not the vaccine. It almost seems like a PR, like the doctor's in the position of being the PR for the vaccine company. It, it's even worse because we know now from the Pfizer documents that, uh, which is, you know, under court order released, Pfizer knew about 1,291 new adverse events of interest, new diseases, uh, if you will. And we have patients now developing lymphomatous reactions, various neurologic syndromes. And I can tell you, I see this in my practice where patients see doctor after doctor, the doctors tell the patients their condition is an enigma. They don't know what's caused it, but they're certain of one thing, it's not due to the vaccine. How can they be so certain it's not due to the vaccine without knowing what they have? Last question. So it seems like the phase of COVID is moving away, we'll probably live with the ramifications of everything that happened there, especially with a lot of the policies and what people accepted and then, you know, the kind of further progression of, uh, of, our, of our rights and liberties. The new thing is monkeypox, of course. The national emergency was enacted na nationwide just yesterday by the Biden administration. Uh, what's your opinion on that? We had a case of monkeypox at our center yesterday, and uh, it was a 41-year-old woman, advanced, untreated HIV. What we know now is that uh, over the course of decades, there's been a about a thousand cases per year in the world coming out of the Congo Basin, spread from animals to human. Now there is human to human transfer, but it's well understood. Paper from by Thornhill and colleagues, New England Journal of Medicine, 98% of cases so far are among gay or bisexual men who are having sex, uh, men with men. 98.5% of the transmission is by intense sexual contact. 41% like this case have HIV. We've had no deaths in the United States. There's been about six deaths worldwide out of 16,000 cases. Uh, honestly, these numbers are, are similar to disseminated gonorrhea, sim similar to the current syphilis, uh, similar to other sexually transmitted diseases. No reason to call for a medical or national emergency. No reason to have massive purchases of vaccines. We have a very safe and effective drug, which we're using here in Dallas, called TPOX or Ticoviramat. It's very effective. The only reason why patients are hospitalized are for severe oral or anal pain. Otherwise, it's simply treated at home. It goes away. What's happened is this is being used as a tool for intentional fear mongering and propagating this vaccine agenda. Remember, there hasn't been any emphasis on the drug, which is already available. The CDC has a national stockpile of it. All we hear about is vaccines. A vaccine, by the way, the Genios Bavarian Nordic vaccine, a live attenuated double-stranded DNA vaccine, has actually never proven to stop a case yet. It's only been approved based on antibody responses. And already, since it's been around for since 2018, we already have proven cases of heart damage with the new vaccine. So now we have young men getting this illness. We have an a, a available oral drug, no need for a vaccine. And now we have a vaccine that poses heart damage with no proven benefits. And here we go again. Is it difficult for a physician like yourself to actually speak out against the establishment, against the grain? I heard there, there was a, uh, a case filed by the American Medical Board against you just la a, month, a month ago or a month and a half ago, right? So what kind of uh, pushback are you getting? Maybe not aside from the big tech pushback, which is kind of ubiquitous. What about from the medical community? I can tell you uh, myself and then the leading doctors who have been the front line in treating SARS-CoV-2 infection and COVID-19 almost all of us received letters from our boards, family medicine, internal medicine, others, announcing potential disciplinary action against us. And I can tell you many of us, the reasons why this has come is because of our testimony under oath 
in the U.S. or state senates, we're under oath. We're giving our best appraisal of what's going on. We're answering questions. If anything should be immune from professional uh, damage and reprisal should be when we are called as citizens to give our analysis. And I can tell you, any doctor, nurse, patient, attorney, engineer now has been put on notice. We're under a dark, dark time of censorship, reprisal, and our civil liberties are being stripped from us very quickly. Yeah, I'll just conclude, Roman, by saying I think it's important for your, your viewers to understand that public health, particularly pandemic response, it's a sort of Trojan horse. This will sound rather grand, but it, I, I believe the evidence supports it. It's a Trojan horse for a centralized global governance of humanity, a sort of governance by self-appointed pharmaceutical, high-tech, this we call it the biopharmaceutical complex. It's these international foundations who have formed public-private partnerships with treasuries. They have friends in all the central banks of the world. It's a mechanism whereby you declare an, a, a worldwide emergency, kind of analogous to the financial crisis of 08, under the pressurized atmosphere of a world crisis, these guys present themselves as having the panacea. You guys, you dumbass foreign, I mean, leaders, heads of state, you're gonna have to come talk to us in order to understand how to counter this. And you're gonna have to give us a great deal of money. So you see the role of treasuries and central banks and flowing what's called pandemic response funds to these self-appointed leaders or purported leaders of public health response or pandemic response. It's very out in the open. Any informed citizen can read the documents and, and look at the evidence to support this proposition. And we're seeing it happening again now with monkeypox. If anybody wants to check out the book, we'll throw a link to it down into the description box below. Um, and best of luck to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Roman.